there's three things that I want to connect when I'm doing the budgeting process. The process, the people, and the data that we're looking at. This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry, and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, I am Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn. And with me is the ever so popular, ever so famous, ever so, I don't know, should, should I just keep it going here? Mr. Going. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say good morning? We are recording this in the morning. Uh, introduce our special guest, but before you yeah, do that, before, not, I, hang on, I got to no, give wait, you the wait, checklist. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you got it. You got to introduce our sponsors. Right. Got to do the topic, yeah. introduce yeah. our guest, and then do don't screw it up. Okay. So yesterday there was a uh, a little. Uh, I don't even want to call it a meme. It was a photo that went around. Um, you know, our group on chat of uh, Donnie <laughs> the Hunter um, coddling. Of course, you would bring this up. On. And um, I think that we should put that on the show notes. Uh, oh, that, uh, gosh. You know, for, this guy's going to nurture this uh, baby deer back to health so that he can a year from now go and shoot it. So, um, and many of our listeners probably, uh, you know, agree with that. I don't disagree, but uh, I just thought it was kind of funny that Donnie would, uh, you know, that, that I would save would, a deer. Yes, would save a deer for labor har for later harvesting. Yes, and by That's the way, right. just just for the record, I am not nurturing this deer. It's not home. I took it back in the woods and I let it be, and I did not put my son on. No, I, the hate mail is going to come. Like, what are you doing? Why are you touching deer? I, you know, the, the hate mail is not going to come. You know our audience; they're all hunters. They're why don't you kill it? What, we. we so. <laughs> all right, here we so, go. All right, so anyway, let's go. Uh, Dan Gordon, PCO bookkeepers, PCO MA specialists. We are fractionalized CFOs as well as exit planning um, folks as well. Our podcast is sponsors. We have two sponsors. One is Colmarch by Workwave. And if you're interested in digital marketing, I encourage you to visit colmarch.com. The second one is PestSure. PestSure is uh, an insurance company that caters to the pest control industry. They offer general liability, auto, workers, comp, and others. I encourage you to visit them at PestSure.com. And um, today we're going to talk about uh, budgeting basics with my partner uh, in PCO Bookkeepers, Brian Post. Brian is a CPA and a managing member of PCO Bookkeepers and MA Specialists. Brian offers his extensive accounting and tax expertise to clients who are looking to get a better understanding of how their business is operating. His knowledge of industry-specific routing and cloud-based software enable him to integrate in the daily operations of PCO bookkeeper clients and become a trusted advisor. How's that for an off-the-cuff uh, intro? That right, was pretty we're... good. I just have to add a disclaimer for our audience yeah. here, which is, in other words, what Dan is saying is this, is, Brian is the guy who actually knows what he's doing. So he's the one that does oh, the work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I make it happen. Right. Yes, I, I, I stand around the office and impede progress. That's yes, yes, yes. So Brian, welcome, by the way. Great to have you back on the podcast. It's yeah, good to be back. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, we had Brian on uh, episode 93 um, the with the Inflation Reduction Act. And so today we're going to talk about uh, budgeting, which is something that we uh, 
you know, we at PCO Bookkeepers do quite a bit for our clients, usually start them late summer, early fall. And um, so, um, Brian, what, are, what uh, we thought we'd go back to basics. What, what are some of the most common misconceptions pest control and lawn care companies um, owners have about budgeting? Hang on, before we do that, do you guys mind just just for a second? Go ahead. I, I have to say, yeah. this is a topic that I know is necessary, but I loathe it. Like, and I I have to believe that I'm not unique in that. Like, I I understand that we have to do budgeting, and yes, we do budgeting at Triangle, and yes, it's a necessary thing. But sometimes I feel like this is like I don't know why this is so difficult. You know, the like. And I, one of the things I would love to talk about is I, and, I, and this is, I think it's going to come up a little bit later on is this, how do you automate this and make it easy, right? How do you make it easy so that when I'm spending money, I'm making decisions as a business, I can come back and say, what's the impact and, and make it so that, because I will tell you, um, my biggest, like, especially early on now, it's a little different, right? I mean, and I'm not going to go into how I don't, everything works at Triangle. I know you guys know that, but it's, it seems like to me, budgeting, one of the reasons that people don't do it well is because it's pretty hard to keep up with. So start with that. Ideas on that. I mean, I don't, you, by the way, you could disagree with me, Brian. I, we'll, we'll let Dan. No, I mean, I think, I think one right. of the, the main yeah. things is, you know, the, the, the common misconceptions that, uh, that it's, it is really hard and it's, it's only going to be as hard as you make it. Um, you know, you can do a really basic budget and at least have something to reference, or you can get super detailed with it and, and get pretty crazy. Um, so with that, I mean, Dan, you kind of said, what, what are some of the common misconceptions? One of the things is <laughs> some, some operators think that the numbers are going to magically happen because they built the budget. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's definitely something I've ran into quite frequently. Um, the other thing in this kind of place to your point, Donnie, that a lot of people think that they constantly need to be revised. And, and that's not the case. Um, once you build a budget, you're, you've built the roadmap and you want to be able to make sure you can execute on that, that roadmap and, and get to where you want to go. Uh, you're not, if you constantly change it along the way, it's going to resemble your, your P&L at the end of the year. So it's, it's used to just reference and to be able to say, oh, we're not doing well here. Let's actually make a change. Uh, the other thing is they're unrealistic. Uh, you know, profit goals, growth goals, other things like that. Uh, you, you don't want to be a million, $2 million company and think I'm going to be 10 million next year. It's that's unrealistic. It's not going to happen uh, unless you're maybe a door to door company, but yeah. um, so that that's kind of what I've ran into in, in my experience when, when doing budgets. Um, so it's just, like I said, what you make of it, you can be detailed. It can be basic. Um, I, I would say start with starting with a basic budget. I think well, one of the important points that you make is um, we do have clients that, you know, if, if it's too difficult, you know, they call us, we, we get the, the process done for them and whatnot, but it's uh, uh, there's a lot of decisions that go into it. But Brian just brought up a really good point. A lot of people put this budget in place and they didn't make the budget. Uh, so what they do is they adjust the budget to the actuals last month. Well, that 
that doesn't do anything. It's at the end of the year or the end of the period. I so meant to do that. Seed. Yeah, right. Well, no, it's more of, okay, uh, we're, you know, so you don't know how you did, how you, you are at forecasting. We like to do it every year. We talk to Massey. They do it every quarter. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I was going to bring that I up. Think that's a little overkill, but uh, but it's not a bad thing. It, it keeps your head in the game for sure. Uh, it depends on how much time you have to to, to get this done. But uh, I, I guess it's like decorating your house, right? You just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And at some point, you got to say it's it's done. It's over. Let's uh, put it into um, you know the accounting system and then rate ourselves against it. Well, I will, I mean, there's a couple of things I'll chime in on here, which if my folks at Trime will listen to this, they are going to just have a good old belly laugh, especially with some of the next things I'm getting ready to say, which is number one, <clears throat> I, in the past, when I was growing the business, would absolutely start the year off with a budget and we're going to do this and we're going to be disciplined, yada, yada, yada. And then something would happen. Like, oh my gosh, our cost per sale is $125 a sale, double our marketing budget. <laughs> I would like blow the budget. Uh, but you know, I did that because I'm like, hey, I don't want to miss the opportunity. And of course, what, what, what ended up happening is, you know, I'd get to the end of the year and we'd have amazing growth, but I would completely blow my budget out of the water and I still would have, have no money, right? That was, that was kind of problem number one. It was, but I also think, you know, just, just for our listeners, like, one of the things I really appreciate about a budget is that it gives me something to do. Meaning that oftentimes- Just stay out of the hair of uh, all your- Well, what, not to update the numbers, but you know, I will tell you right now, if yeah. you really dig into your p yeah. you will never have a lack of things to do because yes. you'll find percentages that are off by a quarter point. You'll find percentages that are off by maybe 10 points. You'll find things in there that you're like, wait a minute. Why is There's that a little that extra way? cash here? Maybe I could put some more gas in the airplane. That's, That's right. That's exactly right. You know, I mean, but my point here is, is that, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that when you have a budget, it really does a great job of giving you a roadmap of how do you get better as a business? You know, I, and I know this sounds so basic, but it's absolutely true because look, we still go back, you know, trying. In fact, yesterday, as a matter of fact, we go back to the cost study. We go back to the thing that you guys produced, Dan, that, you know, we, and, and we look at that, right? I mean, we're like, okay, well, and by the way, we don't match up completely. There's some areas that we're doing way better than, than what's on there. And there's some areas we're doing way worse. At the end of the day, what I care about was what does that bottom number look like? But, but ultimately it's like, okay, so number one is that a good budget forces me to look at the business and it forces, it forces my numbers in terms of efficiency, right? Because we all know labor is your big, you know, it's the big stick. And by the way, I'm monologuing here. I'll try to speed it up. But, you know, I, when I look at the budget, then it, what I basically, what I do is I tell my staff, I'm like, okay, here's what we have to spend in payroll. So raises, hires, those types of things. As long as you stay in that number, then you figure out how to do it. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but it, but it, what it does is it forces efficiency automatically into the business because you don't have the money to pay on the payroll. The second thing that it does is it forces discipline on me. Like if I go to my staff and I say, hey, we're doing this budget. And then I pull the carpet out from under them, you know, month three, what's going to happen over the long term? Especially if I continue to do that. Yeah, well, we spend a lot more money. <laughs> well, and you lose credibility with your folks. So that's, 
Exactly. But yeah, yeah. I mean, so so the other part of it that I really like about a budget, and, and I'm, I'm not speaking from an owner's perspective here, is number one is it gives me something to do. Number two, it actually holds me accountable back to the staff. Like this, this is the plan. So, and once I make it official and 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 I've communicated it, and and then I don't care what size you are. You could be a million dollar company and still go about it this way, because before when no one knew what was going on and no one was watching, I did whatever I wanted to do. Right. And, and I'm not the best when it comes to, to managing money. I'm okay, but I'm not, I'm no Dan Gordon. I'll just say that. So, you know, you know, sometimes the grass is always greener on the other side, right? So if I go to the <laughs> airport, I could see your airplane or I could see the pen, or I could, if I go to your house, I could see your pool and all the other things. So you must, I don't have a pool. I have a frog right? farm or, is what I got. Or right you're way in debt. So, so, <laughs> so Brian, Let's talk about the process. And um, when we take on a new client, what are the first few changes that uh, that we do to help them budget? So let me preface that question with, there's three things that I want to connect when I'm doing the budgeting process. The process, the people, and the data that we're looking at. So one of the first things that we do, and one of the probably um, the biggest issues is, putting people on a standard chart of accounts. Right now, uh, the majority of the time when, when we add a new client that's going to add in budgeting, everything's kind of all over the place. Um, they, they have all their wages in one bucket. They've got you know their, their direct costs all over the place. And, and honestly, that, that standard chart of account is going to allow them to have kind of a 50,000-foot view of their business just looking at their financials. So they're not digging around everywhere else. Um, so what we're going to do with that then too, uh, is really key in on the gross margin. So at least we can be able to see how their operations are looking. Um, what we're going to do then is, and get timely reporting with that budgeting process. And, and so that they can make quick actionable decisions. And far too often, you know, what we see is sometimes a budget doesn't even tie to their financial statements. And the problem with that is you can't look at stuff that isn't apples to apples. It, it, you got to be able to look at your labor and, and have the same line on your budget that you have on your financial statements. Those, those need to communicate. Uh, and so that's kind of like the first and second thing that we're going to do is standard chart of accounts, get the timely reporting with the budget to actual variances. And uh, really, then the next piece is, is making actionable decisions based on it uh, as we go over it and, and use it as a tool to, to help get the business to where we want it to go. I think the standard chart of accounts is uh, one that we've developed over 20 years. If you look at uh, the big boys, the, the Terminexes, the Renekills, the Antisemexes and whatnot, our chart lines up with them. Um, a lot of consultants are now, you know, business coaches are now talking about, oh, chart of accounts, chart of accounts. That's fine. There's got to be a methodology and it's got to be congruent with other pest and lawn care companies. And that's why we have our cost study, right? We could not do our cost study right. if we didn't have everybody on a standard chart of accounts. So that's extremely important. Although, you know, um, and it's not a Johnny come lately uh, concept. It's an accounting concept, but um, 
you know, we, we see some of the other consultants out there and kudos for them recognizing that uh, chart of accounts is extremely important. And Dan, by the way, I, you jumped on this point. That's exactly what I was going to talk about is I think the key part of that is number one is getting your chart of accounts squared away because <clears throat> I see this all the time. You'll go out to a conference or a meeting or whatever, and, and folks will start throwing out numbers and they're like, well, my gosh, I, you know, I can't get a gross margin of 60 some percent. And then you start digging. Oh, we don't put insurance in there. Right. So, oh, oh we don't, ask- we don't, we don't put fuel in there. What you can do is you can actually ask 10 people who are at maybe NPMA who are not PCO bookkeeper clients and say, um, you know, you can ask them a question, 10 of those people, and you'll get 10 different answers. And nobody's lying. It's just that their chart of accounts are different. And so we have, uh, you know, some some of the, as I said, some of the people, I'm I'm pretty flattered that some of the uh, consultants out there have have taken on this thing that chart of accounts, chart of accounts. But the thing that's important is our chart of accounts works with over 400 pest control clients. There's nobody in the industry that does that. And I think that that's important to to recognize. Yeah, the way that we look at it is everything that happens on the road is going to be a direct cost. So Mm -hmm. insurance, uniforms, all that stuff needs to be included in there, your, your technician labor. So that would be definitely the first place I would start is, is rearranging that so that when you do go do the budgeting process, you're, you know, your, your margins are, are proper uh, from the operations side. And that goes, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is it gives you something to do because <clears throat> if you have that chart of accounts, correct, then you can get operational ratios and then you can quickly look and say, well, is one of my ratios out? And if so, then well, now that gives me a project, right? It gives me something to go and figure out why, or, and it may very well be a good reason for it. But, you know, again, it gives me the visibility where I can take one of these standard industry ratios and then get after it, right? Figure out what's going on. So, all right, let's keep uh, rolling. Yeah, so so Brian, tell us, so the first thing, I think uh, a budget revolves around it like a revenue budget. So how do you you formulate a revenue budget? So with the revenue budget, it's probably the most concentrated topic when when you're doing a budget, in in my opinion. Really, going back to the, the misconception of making unrealistic budgets, what I first do is I, when I'm working with a client, I want to make sure that their their goals are realistic. So we first really kind of talk about that, um, and then from there, you know, we always push. We want recurring revenue. We don't want to do one shot revenue. So I talk about you know that and and what is kind of their active subscription customer count at this point. Um, I'm going to talk about historical attrition rate with them because that's going to play a big piece into being able to get where you want to go revenue-wise. I'm going to talk about the annual average customer value uh, for those particular programs that that you're you're offering. Uh, And then I'm also going to talk about what percentage of sales occur in specific time periods. Uh, all that allows me to really then implement what I call the rule 78. It's a, it's a pretty common uh, thing when, when doing budgeting is if you know you're going to do X amount of dollars, every sale is pretty much the same. That's why we, why we tie it back to an average annual dollar on a, on a customer you can then get a pretty good understanding of the actual realized revenue that you're going to 
get from those new sales. And then obviously we take in the attrition and where they're already currently at, how much one-time work do they have to do to be able to kind of get to where they did in the previous, you know, periods. So those are the things that I first look at from a revenue perspective to be able to see if, you know, can they get to that number um, and, and see if it lays the foundation to be able to see if, if we're had the right, you know, other pieces in place. So, 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 let's, can, yeah, so let's talk about that rule of 78. Exactly. Right? So That's just to, to, to do a, 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 an example so that you understand it is uh, if I sell an account for a thousand dollars a month, that's a $12,000 sale, right? So if I sell it in January and I'm a calendar year, uh, uh, you know, a financial statement person, I've got a $12,000 sale. But if I sell it in February, it's an $11,000 revenue. It's a 12,000 sale. So, so if you add the first, if, uh, so in January, you do a thousand. In February, you do another thousands plus January. So that's 2000, March 3000. If you add those up after 12 months, it's $78,000, but it's 144, 12 times 12, it's $144,000 of annualized revenue. So when you're doing your budget, you definitely want to, um, you know, you, you want to consider that, that, uh, you know, if you're when that money's coming in, client is $1,200, mm-hmm. you don't keep adding $1,200 in July, right? Correct. Uh, you're only going to get 600. So, uh, yeah. So in my experience, I've, I've, I've dealt with this before. So an example, the growth goal was much greater than what the sales goal was. So they were hitting their sales goal, but they were never hitting their revenue goals. Um, because they weren't accounting for rule 78 or, or anything else where, you know, they're not realizing hundred percent of every sale in the year that it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that can get you on that would be cancels, right? We, yeah, we talked about. So, so if you have a million dollars, you want to grow 10%, you have a 15% attrition rate. You have to sell $250,000, right? If your average, uh, uh, if your average uh, customer is $500, you need, um, you need, how many do you need? 200 new clients, right? But that'll get you the annualized value. So you actually need, you need more. more mm-hmm. that, right? So, so which, which we're not talking about cancels, but just goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is it's really worth putting some money to someone who wants to cancel it. It's really hard not to come out on top by kicking them a free service or giving a little bit of money to keep the customer because you realize more of that revenue, you know, versus having to start all over because you're going to pay for it. And then, you know, like Dan said, you're not going to realize that revenue and you want to keep that just, you know, year two is when you really start seeing the benefit of, of, of a recurring customer. So anyway, <clears throat> let's keep rolling. All right. So uh, we've got our revenue budget. And by the way, one of the things that you do is you start off with and, and, all the CRMs offer a report, but basically, um, it's a, um, it's a business valuation report. It's, um, you know, what, what is, if I don't lose a client or I don't gain a client, what is my annual revenue going to be, uh, based on the number of, you know, quarterlies, monthlies, termite renewals, et cetera. So that's important. So let's talk about labor. So Brian, what do you, uh, well, hang on, you know? but before we move on from that, I would just say that the way I do this, and, and there's an old video on YouTube. I, don't, I, I, I cringe to even mention it, but the way that we do it is this. is like, okay, 
where X dollars in revenue, this is how much I want to spend in marketing. Now, this requires you to know a lot of your numbers. So I want to spend 10% or 8% or 15%, whatever that number is. That's my marketing budget. Okay, so my cost per lead is X. So that means I generate this many leads. My close rate is 50%. So of that, that's going to be X number of sales. Then from there, that's going to tell me, this is what I can realistically do with my sales. Then I take and I apply my cancel rate and say, okay, I'm going to lose this many. That means I get this many accounts and sales. I've lost this many. Where does that land? And then that's the beginning of the conversation. That Well, number one, that'll tell me how much revenue I should have at the end of the year. Oftentimes, that's the starting point. And then we start moving numbers because that could be like, man, that's great. And that's going to result in 20, 25% growth or Oh gosh, that's only ten percent. What are we going to do? <laughs> so, well, I just but you're, you know, you're doing is you're you're budgeting for your cost per lead or cost per sale. Correct. That's exactly um, right. And so, what you're doing is you're, uh, uh, you know, if if that cost per lead or cost per sale goes down is less than what you want, then you step on the gas and really go. Mm-hmm. If it's more, then you got some decisions to. Make. And I will say this is not perfect. And the reason I say it's not perfect is because, <clears throat> especially in the last four years. Our cost per sale has gone up dramatically in digital. And, you know, what we forecasted just did not come through during the year. And every time I think, well, we've hit the top, we haven't. So um, it's, you know, that that cost per sale keeps creeping up. Uh, And it's not because of conversion. It's legitimately because the cost per lead's going up. But anyway, that's another topic. I just make the point that that's how we boot our revenue forecast. I'm sure there's probably other ways that folks do it, but I will tell you that method for us has been locked solid. I mean, we, you know, when we do it that way, it's yep. really, really close, you know, by the end of the year. So, all right, we can move on to labor now. All right. Let's talk about labor. Brian, what, what do you do for labor? Yeah. So again, this is kind of like a top-down approach when we're looking at your budget. First, we start with revenue. Then we're going to go into cost of goods sold. Um, so labor, what we're looking at here is is really reviewing the activity ratios, again, from our cost study and where our clients need to be. We kind of look at historical performance to see, is this an area that they've underachieved in? Um, we're going to look at, you know, the revenue um, and, and see what are the trigger points of, of when they would need to make a higher, you know, factoring in training time, uh, making sure that the, the new ex- sales expectations are, are factored in there. Uh, we're going to take a look at promotions and raises and things like that to, to see what kind of impact that would make uh, in the budget. So that the labor piece of it, you know, it's the biggest piece of your budget between all, all the different departments. So spending some time here is, is crucial uh, to be able to figure out and, and not be scurrying as, as we all know hiring in this in the, these industries is, is super difficult so if you can at least identify to some degree of accuracy of when you're going to need that person the budgeting process is, is where you're going to find it hang, hang on brian, brian is yeah. such a brian is such a gentleman dan he, he is such a gentleman. He absolutely is. Why, yes. why do you say that? So being... first of all, all right, if you listen to this, this is where you make the money on your budget, okay? We're in a people business and this is what really, really matters. And I'm going to tell you right now, like if you, like other areas of your budget, if it's kind of close, but not quite, that's not going to kill you. You don't get this right, the labor side. This is, 
this is the, in my mind, probably the most important part of a budget, mainly because if you don't do this, and Brian, I'm sure that when you do this for new clients, they never are way out in labor. What happens is, is that people say, oh, we're busy. We need to hire. Oh, we're busy. We need to hire. Oh, we need to do this. We, and they don't do any forecasts. And then come fall or winter, especially if they are seasonal summer, they're overstaffed. And then they make no money because they burn all their profit in labor during the off season. I am guilty of this, but I will tell you that this part here, these labor percentages is the most important part, especially, you know, you bring up a good point when you talked about raises and promotions. Again, the way that we do it is we say, okay, you have a, here's your dollars for labor for this department. You decide how you want to spend it. If you can get more efficient and pay your people more, that's a win. I would love for you to do that. But if you want to hire someone and it's not in the budget, guess what? We're going to have to figure it out, right? It's a way of forcing your percentage on the bottom line. And it's by far the biggest stick that you've got on your P&L. Now, if you're growing fast and you're spending a ton of money in marketing, I get that, but you can always turn that off. You know, getting rid of people, <laughs> if you need to fix More that number, it's a well, little bit hard. <laughs> it, it's hard. So, so what you do is you kind of target, okay, let's say that we say that technician labor should be 22.5%. That's, you know, that's a good number, right? However, I, if I'm doing a million dollars, then it should be, you know, uh, $225,000. But Brian, do you recommend that you just put that number in or do you put a bunch of names down of all your technicians, what they earn, just to kind of do a reality check to see if that makes sense? Because yes, technician labor is variable, but it really isn't. Because if, if you only give a guy eight hours a week because you think it's variable, you see how long you're going to keep that guy, right? Yeah, I, mean, I would definitely recommend doing that. I mean, during this whole budgeting process, it's really just seeing exactly how well your business is running. Um, if, if you even go a step further and look at who what what they're making and what they're producing, you can at least see if someone isn't pulling their weight or, you know, someone who's a rock star and doing significantly more and maybe has less than a 22 and a half percent labor margin. So definitely this this time is, is the best time to see if you have really good people or, or not so good people and, and making decisions of what you do. Nope. The one caveat I would add to this too, and it's more of just a caution, is early on when I was starting my company, I, I heard the 22%, I heard the 18%, I heard the 20%, and I come back and I'd be like, why do we suck? Like, why can I not get this number here? And what I didn't realize at the time was that I was covering a metro market with five technicians, which means there's a ton of drive time, right? So I could not you know, there's no way they're going to be able to produce, you know, a route back, back in the day, back in the day, if a guy was doing 10 to 12,000 a month, he was doing great. Now with triannual services and those types of things, it's more like 25 to 30 is where they need to be. But, but back in those days, like, you know, and if a guy was doing 15 K, it was fantastic. But so I guess my only point is, is that look at the percentage and then come back and look at what you have going on. If you've got a, a wide, area that you're trying to service and they're spending a lot of time behind a windshield, you're never going to hit that percentage. You know, well, let me ask just... you something, Donnie. So, you know, uh, Brian and I can definitely put uh, 
you know, the, the numbers in the spreadsheet, but you just said something kind of interesting, right? So if you're in a metro market with a lot of traffic, you're not going to get that route efficiency, mm-hmm. of, you know, some suburban neighborhood where every house is on top of each other, right? Yep. But these urban areas, because they, you know, uh, you know, there's more jobs and things. Do you think that, so pricing can cure the problem that you had. Do you pricing think- and labor. Yeah. So, so do you feel that you can raise prices in an urban area more so than you can in a rural area? I absolutely think you can. Okay, great. Yes, I 100%. And the other part of that is, is that, and by the way, we don't do a lot of rural areas. So, so if you're thinking of this in a really rural area, just turn off your brain. Don't listen to me. Okay. There are folks out there and that I, that I know, listen to the podcast who do very well in rural areas. Our model our model doesn't work so well, but the other nice thing about rural areas is typically your labor is not as high either. You know what I mean? Yep. Typically you can get a bit lower labor and so you can make it happen. But so, so my only point here is, is this, is that when you look at these labor rates and you start looking at these percentages on your PL, the thing that got me and the thing to think about is, is bring it back and then look at what you currently have. Now that doesn't mean that you don't run towards those numbers. I mean, Hey, we made a lot of efficiency improvements because we're like this this number, meaning our tech labor is out of whack and we got to fix it. And so again, you got a budget. It gives you a task list, gives you something to do. So, all right, that's my soapbox. Brian, we'll jump back to you. Um, anything else we want to add to labor before we move on? No, I think, I think labor um, is, is, especially from a cost of goods sold side, it, it just spend some time here. Uh, like I said, Moving on from labor, you know, I do a top-down approach. My next thing I'm looking at is material costs. If if my chemical costs are way out of whack, we're we're trying to reel them in. Whether it's putting controls in place, you know, inventory counts, etc. Like th- the percentages are going to tell a story of what I need to do as an operator to to really get them in line with where they need to be. So, um, and again, more perspective here. If you're, uh, this is probably not going to be, this is probably not going to be the best thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're less than 2 million, Donnie's opinion, I would not spend a ton of time here. If you're running 9%, you know, 11% or whatever in your materials, fine, move on. Focus on your labor and focus on growing your business. You're up in the, you know, in the multi-million. If, like if you, you, if you have a, a termite division or a lawn division, if you're just straight pest control and you're at nine to eleven percent. Oh right, yeah, you got a problem. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I see. That is a good caveat. So if you are bigger than that and you're, you know, five, ten, fifteen, whatever, these quarter percentages really matter. And in that case, absolutely, you need to be tightening in on the materials. And so my only point is, is that I'm not saying this is not important. I'm just making the point that when you're smaller, you typically have bigger fish to fry. And that's, you know, labor and sales. And that's where you really need to be putting your time and effort. When you get larger and those systems are in place, now it's all about where can I find the 1%, right? Where can I get? You know, what's interesting is, uh, so William Blair had this uh, conference and uh, Jerry Galoff from Rollins spoke and uh, um, their CFO also spoke. And one of the things, uh, Tim Mulrooney, our friend over at, at Blair, who, you know, I work on the index with, issued a note yesterday about the conference. And he talked about the CFO, this guy, uh, Ken Krause, uh, who he came from a different business. And what he did is he 
he talked in terms of BIPs, which are basis points or a hundred. So, so he, while he was at his old job, was able to reduce costs by about 400 BIPs, which is 4%. Think about that. If you're a 15% net profit company, which is, you know, that's not bad. Uh, and I add 4%, I've just added a third. And the way that he does it is just, you know, counting pennies and, you know, yeah. uh, doing things like that. And, 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 and they spoke about that on the note. I thought it was, uh, you know, uh, if you, uh, I'm not sure if, uh, Tim released the note, but, but, but I got it. Um, and you can get with, uh, William by, by the way, Dan's on inside edition, everyone he's, he's in the inside track. Yeah, gets, uh, yeah, he's kind of get, you know, proving. Swing analysis. Now, I, and by the way, you saying that reminds me of one other thing. And that is, if you've never read the book, Atomic Habits, go and buy it now and read that book. Cause there's a whole chapter about this very concept where he talks about the British cycling team. Do you guys know the story? No. So this coach comes in, he takes the British cycling team was like laughing. stock. like literally manufacturers would not sell them bikes because they didn't want people to see the British cycling team run their bikes. That's they, they were that bad for that long. And they get this new coach and he comes in and all he's doing are these like little bitty changes. Like, you know, he, he goes through and he, you know, he buys new pillows for the team. He goes in, he paints the inside of the vans white so they can find dust. So he's making one little one percenters changes. And over time, you know, the, the British cycling team, the, 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 in the, the, the longer, the short of it, they end up winning five of six tour de France's over that, over that time by these little 1% improvements. And so, so bringing it back to materials and bringing it back to your PNL is again, if, if you're small, you gotta, you gotta block and tackle. You gotta make the basics. You gotta score points. As you get larger, it, the game truly turns into these one percenters. And by the way, if you've not read atomic habits, it's one of my favorite books. I would highly recommend you read it. And even if you just read it for that story about the British cycling team, it's a, it's an amazing story. So moving on. All right. Sales and okay. marketing, my favorite topic. Yes. So I figured you'd like that one, Donnie. Um, you know, you kind of touched on really diving into some ratios that you guys have, like your, your cost per lead, your cost per closed sale. When I do a budget, I, I get people to start thinking about those numbers because in, in my experience, not a lot of people know them right off the top of their bat, off the top of their head. So being able to figure that out, uh, discussing historical close rates to see if that needs improvement. Um, do they have the capacity to to handle the leads that if they were to increase their budget? Like, do they need more salespeople? Um, you know, whatever it is. And then I also get them to look at reviewing annual sales, annualized sales made by their salespeople to see if, you know, again, just go back to, do, you, do they have rock stars? Do they have people that are kind of just floating, skating by and, and doing the minimal work? So that that's kind of... Um, what we try and pull out of our clients when we're, when we're talking about the sales and the marketing piece and, and controlling those costs. And I think that, you know, again, th this is the basis for your business. Like you absolutely need to make sure that your marketing and sales are tuned up and that they are producing and be willing to cut bait if they're not. I, I, and I'm ashamed to say this, but we've done mass media in the past and I was probably too small to do it. Like I, I would launch into this campaign and we wouldn't have enough money to really make a difference. And then I'd realize I'd make a mistake and I'd have to pull it. But you need to know what these numbers are because the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it's great to spend sales and marketing. And listen, I'm the biggest advocate of, of dumping a ton of money in sales and marketing if it produces. 
right? You can waste a lot of money in sales and marketing and it doesn't come back. And so, and the, then the problem with sales and marketing is, is that it's, it's direct to the bottom line if it doesn't produce. So, yep. you know, you make just a one or 2% change or improvement there, that is straight profit, right? It's not like increasing your revenue where, hey, I can increase revenue one or 2%. Well, you're still going to pay all that tax as far when I say talking about tax, I'm talking about you can pay in labor and those types of things. But, you know, you, you just really have to watch it because it, it, it falls directly to the bottom line, dollar for dollar, especially if, it, especially if it's not improving. And that's another thing that we discuss is if, if they have multiple marketing sources, you know, at least getting an understanding of what their ROI is on them, whether it's television, radio, direct mail, you know, are, are they flushing their money or, or is it being effective? Um, I mean, my recommendation to a lot of my clients, you know, again, they're in that like two, two and a half million dollar range. You're not going to get a big return on a, a radio advertisement nowadays or, or, There's or, just a, not enough money. or a television yeah. commercial. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's just, and, and I have clients that have sent me quotes on, on things. And, and I just say, spend it elsewhere, put it in Google, put it in. Go, go buy leads. Else. Yep. Yeah, Don't brand yet. Go buy leads. Yep. Um, there, there is one exception. If you're in a really rural area, it's easy to brand because you can do. Yeah. Things. If you can buy it cheap, 100%. You can buy it cheap. But mm -hmm. uh, if you're in a, a, a major LA or New York or a suburb thereof, but if you're in really rural areas, we've seen uh, branding work for not a lot yeah. of money. Uh, but you know. and I've seen companies do it very well in oh, these yeah. kind of oh, rural yeah. areas. I mean, right. and I'm, and I, I don't mind name dropping here, but I, well, I've, I shouldn't do that. But let's just say the Florida market, and I've seen some rural areas in the Florida market where guys have gone in and they just dominate their areas because they dominate TV, radio, and just about every other you know billboards and those types of things. And so, is I that a client is that a, is that a friend of ours in one of our peer groups? That's one, but there's another one who's not. Yeah. Um, in Panama City. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, point being, um, it's not like you don't ever do that. It's just be thoughtful about that and make sure that it produces. The other thing I would say on that is that if you don't know how to calculate all these rates and ratios, I will go back to that and we'll link that YouTube video up. And not that I'm trying to promote me. It's an old video, but it, it walks you through how to make all those calculations and how to set that up. I'm sure Brian can help you with it as well, or Dan or whatever. We'll link it all up. But, but okay. But, but if you really want to, uh, 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 it explained well and look at a very good looking uh, instructor, watch Donnie's video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Okay, Brian, close us out here. We're getting here to the end. So anything else, any any parting thoughts before we before we move on from this well, topic so, of budgeting? So, yeah, so, so let's just kind of talk about um, just the, uh, once you get the budget, you got to look at it, uh, you know, kind of for yep. uh, just a reality check. So let's-, let's So that, that's kind of the third part of- uh, the three things that I want to tie. We've looked at the data, the people who should be involved in that process, right? Your, your management and whatnot. The, the third part is, is building the process around and, and the muscle of reviewing it and utilizing it as a tool to, to tell you how you're doing versus how you thought you wanted to do. Uh, and then making changes. If, if, if you're not achieving those budgeted goals, you're probably not doing something right. Yep. So- that's 
And I would say, and, and this is going to go back to an earlier debate that Dan and I had in a previous episode, which is train your managers and train your people how a budget works and be willing to openly share. You can share percentages. I think that's something Dan mm-hmm. and I could, well, I th- could agree I, on. I think what you also want to do is you want to assign responsibility for a certain line item or line items to a person. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to, you know, the whole budget isn't on them, but you know, if correct, if you want, yes, you you know, if, if your your marketing director, if you have one, should understand what their budget is, should understand if they're achieving the you know forecasted or budgeted uh, results. That that's definitely you yeah. Know. Ownership and top management can't hold that closely. They they need that's to right. they need to align goals so everyone's rowing in the same direction towards that goal. Yep. 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 One hundred percent. Okay. Uh, Dan, any other thoughts before we finish out here? Anything else you want to add before we get done? I do not. Um, what? Uh, yeah. Wow. Brian is a very complete and thoughtful individual. And I think that we did, you know, <laughs> did very well with it. Brian, what about you? Anything fun. else before we finish out? No, I mean, if, if anyone needs any assistance, we can always help you here uh, with build, building out your budget. So more than more than happy to help well i will say you know budgeting is about as exciting as drilling screws through my toenails but i will tell you this is probably one of the most important topics as a business owner that you need to pay attention to you know ultimately your business is there to support you and to support your life and you need to it needs to be predictable and you need to make sure that you set it up in a way that it does that otherwise you'll be driven by your business you won't be driving it and the budget is a key tool to do that and i absolutely meant what i said you know the I, I like a budget because it gives me a project list. It gives me a way to, to, to make my business better. And number two, it's kind of a forcing discipline mechanism so that I don't go out and just start spending money because my personality is, is that I want to go out and try everything and I want to do everything. And the budget forces me not to yeah. do that. So with that, do, just a reminder, we'll put, um, well, obviously this will be up on the, on the, on the PMP industry insider website under show notes. We'll put the YouTube video up there. I don't think we're going to put this picture of me saving Bambi up there. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I, I don't know. To. I have also linked the book um, for um, it's, you know, atomic habits, because I think it's an important chapter, at least on the British cycling team, especially if you're looking, it absolutely has to do with the fact of how to make your business better, especially in the, in the area of budgeting. So just take a look under show notes under PMP industry insider.com. Also um, we always appreciate any ratings and reviews that you can give us. And like I always close every show out, if you have complaints, concerns, or just general complaining in uh, that you want to do with the show, please call Dan. He loves those kind of calls. Don't call me. And with that, we'll finish out. We'll see you all next time. Take <laughs> Thanks care. for having me, guys.